hello and welcome back to another episode of Coffee and a Good Vibe. How are you doing today? I hope that wherever you're at in your day, it is a beautiful day and you leave today's podcast so abundantly served and fulfilled and just uplifted in vibes. Now, today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of sitting down with Ben Sharp. Now, Ben is the founder and CEO of an e-commerce software startup called Platter, a software company helping Shopify brands increase conversion rate and average order value on their storefront. Now, I was super stoked to connect with Ben because I just knew this conversation was going to be so well-versed in so many pillars from entrepreneurship to mindset to mental health to health and wellness because he was a former um, hockey player growing up. And I love always connecting with athletes because, you know, how we do one thing is how we do everything. And you can always see that strong correlation from people who were, you know, professional athletes who then move it into their entrepreneurial ventures. He is also a content creator with a YouTube channel, a podcast and all the things. And what I really love about Ben is how he's approaching his content series. So basically with birthday series, they offer people an opportunity to fulfill a wish and not just any wish. It must be something actionable. And between Ben and his partner, Ryan, they are bringing that wish to life. It's super cool, everything they're doing. And I love the intentionality and the production level that they are applying to this whole new content series. And you guys are going to hear all of it in this conversation with Ben. We dive into so many pillars in this episode, and I know you're going to leave wanting more. I know I could have talked to Ben for hours on every little topic that we dove into. So I'm going to leave it here. I'm going to let you guys soak in this conversation. Enjoy it all. Take notes. Give us any feedback and share this with a friend. You know the drill. If you are getting value at any point in the episode, copy and paste this link on whatever platform you're listening to and send it to a friend. You know, shoot them a text, tell them that you hope they're having an amazing day, check in on them and send them this link. It definitely helps this podcast reach more people. It's a great way to check in on a friend and it's a beautiful way to share the love of this amazing episode. So I'm going to leave it here and I will see you guys on the other side. So hello, Ben. Welcome to Coffee and a Good Vibe. I am so grateful. And also I'll give the audience a little bit of context because you came through today. I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> you came through like I gave you an, like an hour and a half notice, maybe. And you guys, this guy, he, he came through. And I just met Ben yesterday, literally yesterday, not even 24 hours. And I'm excited because this is going to be like very much like authentic Coffee and a Good Vibe minus the coffee because I'm going to get to know you and get to hear a little bit of background on your story. I like knew a little bit yesterday and like on this podcast, we're so big on your vibe attracts your tribe. And when we met yesterday, I was just like, you're the first person that came to mind when we had this guest just like not be able to make it today. I was like, oh my gosh, I really liked our conversation yesterday. And I think the audience is going to get a lot of value. And also it's like an opportunity for me to hear like deep dive into everything that you're doing. So who is Ben? Lives in Soho, New York. Tell us, tell us everything. Here for the vibes always. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I've been, I've been in New York now for about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've, I've had an interesting, interesting last few years. I think I, uh, I graduated in 2020 because I played hockey in college. And so I always joke with people who don't know how it works, that it takes us a little bit longer. So I did five years of high school, did a gap year, uh, after high school, lived in Western Canada. Then I ended up playing uh, Division One hockey in mm-hmm. college. And then I graduated in 2020, which was peak COVID. So I think that period of my life yeah. was a roller coaster. Um, it started with me thinking that I was going to take a corporate job and work in corporate America, which turned into me having an opportunity to play professional hockey, which I didn't anticipate even being an option, mm-hmm. to then covid cutting short my entire senior year to me graduating online, uh, which then just compounded into a whirlwind of new decisions that I never anticipated. Uh, I basically 
decided I wasn't going to play hockey anymore because there was way too much uncertainty with COVID and I didn't want to mm-hmm. sit around for a year. I then gave up my corporate job 12 hours before my first day because I realized that wasn't it either. Wait, what? Yeah, when you come from a traditional Jewish family with a dad who's a doctor and a mom who's a nurse, like sitting down with them and telling them you're not going to your corporate job. Yeah, what was that conversation like? uh, It was one of the – I always joke with myself now when I get stressed out or face adversity. No, but I'm like if I can get through that conversation, I can get through anything. Oh, what? That's crazy. Wait, what made you – 12 hours before, be like, this is not it. For yeah. Me. So basically the way that it happened is I got that job my senior year of college. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I was getting close to graduation, I I was supposed to work at EY Parthenon. I mean, I have no shame in admit, like saying who it is at this point because it's mm-hmm. so far gone. But they basically gave all the incoming analysts a year to defer their job if they wanted to because of COVID. They had no clue how it was going to impact their business. Yeah. So they didn't want to just like bring in all these new kids and start paying. They're just increasing their burn mm-hmm. without actually knowing what was going to happen to the economy. So they told all the incoming analysts, you can go take a year to do whatever you want and you can come back a year later and your job will still be here for you. I had fallen into this corporate trap at Colgate University where I went to school of like, go get the best corporate job you can. I'm a competitive kid. Everyone else around me did it. So I was like, great, I'm going to do it too. Got the job. But then when I got this option, I was like, wait a minute. So you're telling me that I can go like test the waters, be an entrepreneur for 12 months. And if I fall on my face aggressively, then I can just Mm -hmm. go back to UI. It felt like a blessing in disguise for me instead of trying to go be an entrepreneur for a year with no backdrop. So in my mind, I was like, okay, absolutely. I'm doing this. So that part wasn't complicated with my parents of like, Hey, I'm just going to go try things out. If it doesn't work, I promise you, I promise a year later, no matter what, I will go back to my (laughs) corporate job. So that was the conversation that we had. Uh, the next 12 months were an absolute whirlwind. I spent, um, about eight months at a COVID testing startup that we had talked about that scaled like crazy. I don't, they went to like 800 employees and 60 million in revenue in like five months. Um, I basically jumped headfirst into that. I was like managing a team of 60 people across three states. And it was one of the craziest times Mm -hmm. of my life. After that, I basically was like, okay, I'm going to take the next couple of months to just like chill for a minute because I'm planning to go to EY. Mm -hmm. And a month before my start date, I was out in LA visiting my sisters and a mentor of mine had introduced me to someone. He's like, you really got to meet this guy. You guys need to get coffee. And we had tried multiple times. It just never lined up. And then I I hit him up when I was back in LA and he's like, yeah, I'm around tomorrow. You want to get brunch? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I meet him. Uh, we were in Venice. I'll never forget. I meet him for, for brunch and we're talking and we just had a bunch of mutuals. And he's like, what do you do? What are you working on? Mm-hmm. Knew all the same people. And he looks at me and he's like, why don't you come work for me at GoPuff? And I was wow. like, okay, that's interesting. Because in my mind, when I was like younger, I always told myself, go get a corporate job for two years and then go do mm-hmm. business development at a high growth tech startup after that. And when he said to me, come work at GoPuff, in my mind, I was like, okay, this is interesting because it seems like I can skip a rung in the ladder. Like, why would I go get the consult? Why would I go backwards to get the consulting job if this is where I thought I wanted to be anyways? Mm-hmm. So I was like, I'm willing to explore this, but I have a job starting in two and a half weeks. So I don't have much time. So I did seven rounds of interviews in 10 days, um, accepted the job or sorry, they gave me an offer 48 hours before my first day. I countered the offer 24 hours before and accepted it 12 hours before, at which point I had to tell you why I wasn't coming anymore. Was it so competitive? The offer they gave you that it was like financially, it was really, they financially, it was it was better than the offer that I had at, at the corporate job. But honestly, it was more so about the opportunity and the exposure. Totally. That's, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't even about the money. I think the unique perspective for me is that I wasn't uh, like a 20 year old coming out of college with no experience, not knowing mm-hmm. what I want to do. Like I was 24 years old because I was two years removed because of hockey and also had spent a year like in the entrepreneurial world. Like I did a couple other things outside of the COVID testing thing, not really worth going into deep conversation about, but more so that I had exposure to like what the other side was like. And so when I knew I would go there, not be a cog in the wheel, have some autonomy, I was like, okay, this is an absolute no brainer. Um, that conversation with my parents was definitely not, uh, fun. I totally not. I, I, have so many things to ask even within that journey because I'm so big on like the mindset, the mental fortitude, like one needs to have to even just take action like that. So where did that stem from? Because you come from parents who pushed a traditional path and like there's so much, like I always say like to like my parents always 
kind of like put what they want, like my whole life, like pressure onto like what they want for me and push that narrative. And it's only from a place of love because they care about you. But where did it stem from of like, I want to be an entrepreneur because it seemed like that was like always the innate, like you knew you were going to create your own path. Yeah, I think um, for the longest time in my life, I was always uh, scared to go against what my parents wanted because I grew up in a traditional family and like of the kids and I have two sisters, like I was always the rebellious kid. Like my parents would say A and I would do B, but there was, there was levels to it, right? Like I actually tried to convince my parents to let me not go to college when I was 17. And that conversation lasted for four seconds. Um, cause I always knew that I wanted to do other things. And I, I always had these curiosities and I just, for whatever reason, I think getting the exposure that I was capable and I saw what else was Mm -hmm. out there, it was enough for me to know that like, the way that I think about how I operate every day is like if you work hard and operate with integrity and trust that you're doing the right thing, like mm-hmm. it will eventually figure itself out as long as you have consistency with whatever it is that you choose to do. Yeah. I think the problem is that so many people aren't capable of handling that uncomfortable period of like three to six months of the unknown mm-hmm. that they end up staying in the comfortability so path true. for their whole life. Yeah. And so like that, the famous term is the golden handcuffs. Like when you get to the corporate world, they give you just enough money. They give you just enough mm-hmm. benefits where you're like, oh, the opportunity cost of like doing the unknown isn't worth it. And then you like you wake up 30 years later and yeah. like you life passed you by. And so for me, I've always been someone that has optimized, optimized for experiences like exposure and experiences and like doing cool things with cool people, because mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, like what do you really have when it's all said and done, right? Like it's the experiences and the memories with people. Like someone said, a mentor said to me when I was younger, like we'll sit here and have a conversation and like years from now, you probably won't remember much about what we talked about, but you'll remember how I made you feel or how you made me feel. Yeah. And like, I feel like that holds true beyond just like one interaction, but like how you live your own life with purpose. And so for me, Mm -hmm. I knew that I wasn't meant to be sitting at a desk in a corporate world doing something. And like, it's not that there's anything wrong with that. I think there's a right path for everyone. I just knew that I had to get out of that rabbit hole at the beginning or else I was going to be stuck. And the beautiful thing, too, about that, it's like when you I'm like someone who's like, I love to be uncomfortable. (laughs) If I'm comfortable, I'm like, ah, got to do something. You got to start a new business. You got to change like environments, travel, like constantly like putting yourself out there. And I feel like on this podcast, I get to interview people like yourself who are those people who just are so comfortable with the unknown and putting themselves outside their comfort zone, like going in a cold plunge every day. But there's a lot of people listening who that's so scary and frightening, but yet they like, they have this like inner knowing that they like know what could be possible. And they have these, like, maybe like they listen to a podcast and they're like, yes, I can do everything. I can, they maybe like have a really great routine one day and then they feel on top of the world. What would you say to someone listening who's like struggling with just getting comfortable in the unknown like what advice would you have? it could be in any area right it could be like to ask someone out on a date it could be to start a new business it could be anything but i think like this piece of insight you might share can be applied regret hurts a lot more than failure say that again regret hurts <laughs> yeah. a lot more than failure mm. i have that written on a post-it note on my dresser in my bedroom so it's like sitting here and thinking about all the things you want to do and letting life pass you by, like you might as well try. And if it doesn't work, at least you can live with the fact that you tried doing whatever it is that you aspire to do. So for me, Mm -hmm. it's all driven by curiosity and serendipity. So like the most amazing experiences I've had in my life are with the people that I wasn't supposed to meet, but I did because I did a thing. And like the opportunities that I now have in my life are because of compounding effects from situations where I was willing to be vulnerable and take a leap of faith to do things. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, like if you're scared about being judged by someone or something's going to go wrong, it's not that bad. Like you have to get over that and hump in your And once you do one thing, it kind of just like you just get so comfortable with like taking those leaps of faith and like your belief in yourself grows when you take that action. Because the other thing too is a lot of, well, at least from what I've learned with mm-hmm. people who hesitate to take that jump is it's because they're stuck worrying about what other people are going to think about them. Yeah. Uh, and I, that's something that I, I think that's part of the reason, honestly, it took me so long to like grow into my level of comfortability. I'm in now with like being in front of a camera and like really being my unapologetic self and doing the things that fulfill me and not really doing things for others if it doesn't align with like my values. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think really it's just 
recognizing that people around you care way less than you think. That's so, I always tell myself that. Too. Have you ever seen the TikToks where it's like people in the streets of New York who so will I talk to a New camera York and say, I'm going to go like, scream this or do this and no one's even going to look? Yeah. It's true. So I love like big cities because you just feel like a speck in like such a melting pot of so many people who just don't, who are all on their own path. What do you think about the power of your environment? Like I know the little I know of you, you have like the one person who connected us, love her, like live yesterday. I feel like I like you said it before, like you have a, you had a mentor at an early age, like in your early twenties, like what do you think, what do you attribute like the value of your community, your network, the people you keep around? I am very intentional. I was actually talking to Liv about this yesterday, how mm -hmm. I think there's a big difference between people who are acquaintances, people who are business friends, friends and like best friends mm -hmm. in that like it's very important when you are someone who's very busy and you recognize that you have a limited amount of hours in your day. There's no room for people with bad energy. Yeah. Like there's no, the there's no room for negativity. Yeah. There's no room for energy sucks. Like it, it, the people you're around, at least for me, like that's where I get my inspiration and my motivation to do things. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm very intentional about like how I spend my time, who I spend my time with and the environments that I put myself in. And I think a really good example of that to this point around like doing something outside your comfort zone that you don't do because you're scared of how other people are going to judge you. I think a great example of that for me as an anecdote was when I started doing content, right? Like mm -hmm. everyone always talks about how they want to be a creator, but posting that first video that gets four views, like you're scared that your friends are going to make fun of you and like people are going to so judge like you field from what maybe you've been using your socials for. Yeah. But like that, that's real. But like what I, well, the reason I say that is what that actually does for you is it weeds out the authentic perspective that some people have on you. Right. So like when you're doing something that they don't agree with, if they really supported you, they wouldn't like ridicule you. They would actually support you and like be like, no, post another video, like do it again, yeah. not be the one that's making fun of you. But that's the person who's going to sleep at night wishing they were doing what you were doing, mm -hmm. but they feel comfortable by like bringing you down to bring themselves up. So I would say absolutely. The, like from when I started doing content, it absolutely course corrected certain relationships in my life where I was like, wait a minute, like you're not, you you're not that. in my Did corner. Yeah. There's a couple of people for sure. I'm like, you're not in my corner the way I thought you were. Uh, and you, you know, you were disrespectful and then you kind of disappeared and now things are starting to come together and all of a sudden you're, you're yeah. back. Yeah. But like so true. people don't forget, like that was one of the first pieces of advice my dad ever gave me was never burn a bridge ever. Mm. You never know when someone's going to come back around when you're going to need someone you didn't think you did. Even if you have a falling out at an old job at a, at school, at a, a, a mutual friend, it doesn't matter. Like I've had so many moments where there are people who I never thought I would see again, who reappear in my life for whatever reason. And it's like, if you treated that person wrong at some point in your life, like you're going to regret it. Cause now you're going to have to deal with it it's again. So in the world, the universe works like that. Like, especially like people think like, Oh, I'm in a big city like LA or New York. But even in those worlds, I feel like it is so tiny and everyone knows everyone. And also people, what they say of someone, the word like, I always think about it too. It's like, if I'm going to interview someone or get connected, if we have some mutuals, I always can almost like tell like, okay, this person it introduced me to this person. I know they're going to be like such a quality person because like, I know the standard that you hold your relationships to. I think it speaks so much volume on that, um, with that journey. So I want to kind of go back to GoPuff. So after GoPuff, what was that journey like? Because you also founded a tech company. Yeah. So GoPuff was actually the jumping off point uh, for my software company. And when you were at GoPuff, were you living in LA at the time? Uh, I was actually, tra so I was traveling. Yeah, I'm learning everything because I don't know. I, I lived out of a suitcase for like two years. That started because of the COVID testing company where I was going city to city, opening new locations. And then I was like, wait a minute, why is everyone trapped in their basement? Like you don't have to, it's a myth. Uh, so mm -hmm. I just didn't stop traveling. I hit like 18 cities across three countries over the course okay. of like two years. And then eventually I was like, okay, I'm going to do stability for a little bit. Cause I like want a home base <laughs> stability that like was wasn't my parents' house in yeah, yeah. New York. Soho? Uh, yes. Okay. Side note, why New York? Because I know a lot of people are like wanting to move to a big city or like me, I always am like, I love LA. I love New York. I like, I like both. So I was, I was between, uh, when it all came down to it, I was between New York, LA and Austin were the three places. Part of the decision-making process for me, I mean, what made it hard, honestly, was that I moved away from home when I was 15. 
mm-hmm. uh, because I went to a boarding school for high school. And then like, I've kind of lived all over since then. So I'm fortunate that I kind of just know people in a lot of random pockets, yeah. which made it easy to be able to move to a city. Cause I know I have friends in some places. And if I don't, I have mutual friends who are willing to connect me with someone mm-hmm. there. Uh, for me, what it came down to with New York was the, it was the environment and the energy that I wanted to be around relative to the things I knew I wanted to pursue in my life at this moment in time. Which was, what was it at that time? So like I thrive off of the hustle energy here. Like when yeah. I go to LA to visit my sisters, I like get anxiety after three days cause it's way too lax for me. I'm yeah. like, why are people not stressed out here? Yeah. Uh, which don't get me wrong. There's a time and place for that in your life. But like when I'm around people who match my energy in terms of like yeah. work ethic and drive, I like feed off of that. Mm. And so wanting to be an entrepreneur, knowing that like it's not going to be a nine to five. And I know there's a great community of like minded people here that we can, you know, go along this journey together. It was like very enticing to me. Yeah. And then you just kind of when you put that energy out, you're just attracting that tenfold, especially in this city. It's so concentrated with all the people. It's so that's the one thing I always feel when I'm here. I'm like, it is so easy to get around and see a bunch of people in one day. Like in L.A., I'm so strategic with how I schedule my days and like like filled with way more calls just because it's logistically you can't make it everywhere and it's not productive of your time but it's such a difference of like how you can flow here with work so what happened after GoPuff like what was that journey to start your you started your own company yeah so I knew all along that my plan was go to GoPuff for a year uh basically just be a sponge, learn everything I would want to do with my own company and everything I wouldn't want to do. I actually argue now Mm -hmm. the best, the best experience you can get from working at a larger company is to learn all the things you wouldn't do. Cause I I think Mm -hmm. that learning the negatives is way more uh, impactful than the positives because the positive things seem intuitive because they happen. You're like, Oh, they should happen because they're good. Yeah. Um, So I really was there for a year and then I felt like I like hit a capacity on like, like my learning curve there. And essentially the last six months at GoPuff were spent building out uh, a business unit in the Shopify ecosystem. So I spent all that time talking to brands in the space and used all of those conversations and relationships to start like digging a a lot deeper into the ecosystem. Because I realized then I wanted to do something in the consumer world and I can get into why in a little bit because I think there's a lot of overlap with like direct to consumer and the content Mm -hmm. stuff that I'm working on. And so I knew I was interested in it. And then the serendipitous part of it is that my, one of my two co-founders, Kieran, was the head of product and growth at the COVID testing company that we worked at. And so we became friends there. And then I also found out that he was doing consulting on the side for direct to consumer brands. So we had similar interests, but he's technical and I'm not technical. And so we were kind of like a match made in heaven when it came to that. And so we kind of started hacking away on a few different things while I was still at GoPuff. And then eventually it just like hit an inflection point where any more days spent there was at the expense of my business, at which point I made the jump to go full time. What was that hustle like with working on this business and GoPuff? It was a around the clock thing. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was 24 hours a day. I mean, it was it was definitely very hard. But I think my motivation to doing it was to be able to get to the point where it was a full time thing. Mm -hmm. What's your why? Like what drives you behind? And I'm sure it could even have evolved. But like someone listening is probably like, wow, Ben is dialed, (laughs) dialed in. I wish I had that motivation or like I I always think it comes down to like your intrinsic motivators. And I know you were an athlete and I we were talking about this yesterday, like how you do one thing is how you do everything. And from my like read on you is that you're very intentional for sure. And all in on everything you do. Like it wouldn't surprise me if like, say one day you're like, I want to be the best in the world at tennis. I feel like you would crush that. Like, where does that come from? What is the why on the business side? Yeah, I think it's like uh, definitely the competition, the competitive nature of me from growing up as an athlete was definitely a piece of it. Mm-hmm. But I think that's it's a couple things. I think the first one is like I follow my curiosities. And then the second piece is just like an internal competition with myself is like, if you're going to do something, try to be the best at it or like don't waste your time. Like it's mm-hmm. it's probably a controversial quote, but like I always joke that moderation's for cowards. Like I just if you're going to do something, why? Like if you're half assing it, who are you helping? 
Um, it's, it's really, look, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to sugar, I'm not going to sugarcoat. Yeah. I'm going to be completely authentic it's with you. Us I, the just, New York energy. I, I just feel that like, for me, I've always been all in on anything I put my mind to, because I think that, uh, you find, I find a lot of value in the compounding, like benefits and outcomes from it. So what drives me is when I can actually look back at the previous three months and like quantify any sort of success. And it just mm-hmm. inspires me to like get to the next level of success. And like, what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. It's, 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 um, subjective, right? Like success means something different to everyone. Totally. Uh, but I think that it's always just for me, it's about like the journey of how much fun I have looking back and being like, Whoa, like this is cool. So it just like feeds me to want to keep doing it. I don't know. I think there's one, I will say though, there was one quote, uh, that I heard that really resonated with me that I don't really think I processed until I, I never thought about it until I saw it. And, um, someone was interviewed on a podcast and they asked them, what do you think are the, the most common traits amongst high performers? And the answer is insecurity. So what I mean, what they mean by that is like, the highest performers in the world are never satisfied. They're always insecure. Like they always want more. And so it's kind of like this rat race as an entrepreneur with yourself where it's like your first, your first goal is I want to make a million dollars. And then you make a million, you're like, I want to make 10 million. And then it's a hundred. And then you want to be a billionaire. And all of a sudden you're just in this endless rat race. And so I think for me, it's like money, I think is a byproduct of just like hard work and doing, doing the right things. But I just, it's an obsession to be honest with you. There's no other way to really articulate. I'm just, I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. It fulfills me and I'm obsessed with it. I just love it. I, I, I joke that I can't turn it off. I think you also have to be like that when you work all the time. Like I feel like people see my schedule and they're like, I would hate to have your life. And I'm like, I love it. But I also know only certain people are wired like the way that we are or like to my business, even like someone would hate, hate to do that. But I think it's so much about like that self-awareness and who you are and, you know, what makes you happy, what you're good at, and then applying that all into your own venture. I also feel like both of us, like we've only like you worked for a company, but you knew you're like meant to be an entrepreneur. Same thing for myself. I like always knew the entrepreneurial path was for me. And I also just think I think anyone can be an entrepreneur, but I also think you just have to build almost that skill like anything because at the end of the day, like nothing's guaranteed, but especially when it's your own like livelihood. Totally. I mean, for me, it was my, the way that I approached it was I want to expedite my learning curve and like, what are the things I want to know and Mm -hmm. what's the fastest way I could get there. And at the moment in time, I felt that going to a GoPa for a year was the best way to do so because I had a good, I had a good mentor. I had very talented people around me that I could learn from. And I knew all along that that wasn't my end all be all about it, that you got out literally in a year. Yes. Like so quickly. It was, I, it, I actually, I could look back. It was probably almost exactly 365 That's days. Crazy. And part of that was like the, you know, check the box for my parents. Be like, I am <laughs> capable just so you know, but I'm, yeah. I'm done. And then what, so tech company, I want to explain that. And I really want to go into content because I love like all the things we were like talking about yesterday. I think it's going to be super valuable for anyone listening. Yeah. So I think it's, there's a couple pieces to it. So for me, I've always known that I wanted to build a software company. I've just had like a curiosity to, to nerd out mm-hmm. on something and go very deep with it. Uh, I would say that the second piece of that is I always knew that I wanted to do something in content. Because I've, I, you know, I spent a lot of time over the last couple of years helping a bunch of creators invest in businesses, build businesses and built a network in that world mm-hmm. and kind of just watch them all go like this, yeah, which is like, amazing. And I'm, I'm so supportive of it and I love it. Yeah. But I'm like, I also think I would love to be in front of a camera. So I want to do it at some point. But for me, it was about being very intentional with if I'm going to do it. I need to be able to do something that I think I can be consistent with for years at a time because I don't want to just start something and then drop off. So for me, it was like, okay, focus on your software company, which we can, you know, we can get into a little bit. And then I've always had this like goal of mine that I wanted to be in a space that can be leveraged via content, which is why I said I went into the world of consumer Mm -hmm. because the creator world and the direct to consumer world are so intertwined with each other that like from very early on with my two co-founders of my company, I was very open with them. Like, Hey guys, when we get this to a stable place, like I'm going to press go on the content because I think building a community and having alternative distribution channels can be a very massive hack in the world of garnering eyeballs when there's a lot of like, there's a lot of noise out there, right? So I always say that as traditional software company, you can go run ads, you can go cold email people, but like 
What about getting 35? What about getting 21 direct to consumer brands to sponsor a 131 mile run from mm-hmm. Montauk to Times Square? Like three of those brands are now customers of my software company. I know it just goes so hand in hand. So like that was the thing was it took me a year and a half to formulate this like vision that I've started to roll out over the last month. I'm like very much at the beginning of something that I've been mm-hmm. building for a long time. But I'm like more energized and invigorated now to like double down because it's actually happening. And it all like funnels the other. Like, I love what you said yesterday. It's like it seems to someone like different arms, but yet they're all from the overarching umbrella that benefits everything you built. And I love that so much with the um, event that you did. The what was it called? The the race? So I'll give you the quick overview of the things I'm working on. My software company is called Platter. It's an e-commerce software company. We basically work with direct-to-consumer brands to help them mm-hmm. make more money on their storefronts, so improving their conversion rate and their average order value. It's a little bit technical, How do but you it, do it is there a way to explain it? Uh, yeah, the the best way the best way to explain it, the analogy that I use uh, is the way that there's like an app store for iPhones, where every time mm-hmm. you want to get like, so if you wanted a map, you would go download a map off the iPhone yeah. app store for Shopify. For a, a storefront, they have an app store. So the way that you would want to do a certain thing on your store, you go to the app store and you like buy that that app to do the thing. So if I want to offer discounts on my storefront, you go buy a discounting app to do that. Now, the issue is that what happens is you want to do a lot of things on your store. So you end up buying a lot of apps, which is a headache because you pay for too many things. You deal with too many support teams and it just like makes your store very clunky. So what we do is we build everything into one solution. So I can come to you and say, I'm going to save you money because you're going to have one app instead of 30. I'm going to make your store faster because it's only one app loading instead of 30. You're only going to have to deal with one support team instead of 30. And so I'm going to be able to quantify making you money and saving you money at the same time. Mm. What a, what a gap you're solving. (laughs) It's very, look, it's a little bit technical and like, that's like the, that's the nerdy side of me. In that like niche of founders, companies that are D to C, they need that. I just, I haven't met that many D to C founders. If I say to them like, Hey, if I can promise you, I can make you money and save you money at the same time. Like, how do you feel about that? (laughs) How many would you meet? They're like, Oh, I'm not interested. Everyone's interested. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. You need to be at a coffee and a good vibe dinner because we've all D to C founders. Love that. Um, so that company now with your new content arm of everything you're doing, it, you're getting brands. Well, you're actually like pitching even those brands. How many brands do you guys have as clients for your app, for your software company? Uh, we're at about 60 now. So like all of those relationships can technically be sp- sponsors support for your content. So what's interesting is yes, that's true, but I actually look at it in the complete opposite. So I use the content as the top of funnel for new customers for the software company versus using the software clients as a means to get sponsors for the content. But it goes both ways. It goes both ways. Yeah. But like when I, I was very intentional, I was very intentional in, in address, like, um, like I was intentional in acknowledging the fact that all of this is to power the software company. Mm-hmm. So the goal is to use the content as discovery for the software company because they're there's brands that we don't have as customers yet that we want to get as customers. So in tandem with the software company, I launched the YouTube channel called birthday series, which we can talk about. And then I just launched my podcast called turning pro. So those are like my two content arms that I'm going to be doing for a long mm-hmm. time to come. Cause they're pretty fresh. Um, birthday series is a YouTube channel. The concept of birthday series is every episode is with a different creator and they blow out a candle and make a wish. And the wish is something actionable on their bucket list. And then we serve as the forcing function to bring it to life. So the first episode that we filmed and launched, uh, on June 10th was 131 mile relay run from Montauk to Times Square where we had a running creator who wanted to do a relay run, yeah, but it, Tyler Swartz. Okay. And then we brought in Mallory Kilmer as his counterpart. Cause we wanted to have a male and a female running creator as yeah. captains of each team. What we didn't expect was that this would turn into a race with 20 runners, a 17 person production team, 21 brand sponsors running 131 miles and ending with a billboard over the red steps in times square before ever releasing a piece of content in my life. Mm, I know that was really cool when I heard that yesterday. And I like being in the PR space and like working with brands, negotiating deals. A lot of people, you know, they think that, oh, in order for me to ever work with a brand, my numbers have to be here. 
I want to go into like how you pitch that and how you got some of these sponsors like Nike to answer you. Like what was the strategy about getting the right point of contact? And then what was the pitch? So my approach to content, I would say is unique relative to the masses in the sense that a lot, at least from my experience, what Mm -hmm. I've seen is oftentimes creators will create content. They'll build an insane audience and then realize they can monetize it and then start learning about the business side of things. I took the opposite approach where I was a business operator first, understood the pillars of building business, and then made the decision to decide to start creating content. So like the way that we've approached the channel to date was very much like we were building a business, Mm -hmm. right? So I was like putting together a pitch deck and have raised money for my company. So I understand that niche that like all documented of like your brand strategy. Yeah. So I had the understanding of like how I need to sell the story and how I need to position this to get a brand to buy into it. Mm -hmm. But there were a couple pieces to it in order to do so. So the first one that's unique about the channel is that we, all of our guests have built in audiences. So while I couldn't promise a number of impressions to a brand, what I could promise them is that we had 20 creators with a cumulative 5 million followers across platforms that were all going to interact with their products. We're going to give them UGC content. Totally. We would never say that I, I would never tell a brand. I can guarantee you that this creator will post with your products. But what I very quickly realized is that if I provide an epic experience for a creator, mm-hmm. they want to be helpful back to me. And so they were tagging all these brands on socials anyways, just because they wanted to, because they were excited about the process, not because I was breathing down their back saying, you have to post an Instagram story for me. Yeah. And they end up doing it. Like even with um, my events that I do, when I get brand partners, I similar process with like pitching the guest list, never a guarantee ever that they're going to post, but the experience is so fun and they're so happy to be there that they share like on social. And it's so crazy. Like when you, when also when you choose the right brands to partner that align to the whole event, it's awesome to see just like everyone like loving the brand and even being like new consumers. That would, I think that would be actually one of my biggest pieces of advice to people who are trying to get brand sponsors is like, make Mm -hmm. sure you really hone in on a category that aligns with who you are as a person in an authentic manner. I love that. Because you're going to spin your wheels and try and like force a, you know, a peg into a, a square into a round hole. And it just like, it doesn't work. And so you're eliminating such a large percentage of brands that you don't need to waste your time on because they just don't fit with what it is that you want to do. It's so true. I think a lot of people like look at other creators of like this brand because they work with everyone, but versus like approaching it from like what aligns to me and then going from a really authentic place with your content strategy and everything that you've decided to birth with birthday series and everything, how did that clarity come through? Like, what is your content creation process? Because especially with your content, like people will have it all linked in the show notes. It's very, it's very thought out and like well edited, well put together. It's like a production. Like with YouTube, I always think that the the channels that do well, like if you, I love listening to YouTubers like content process. They are like directors, like of a movie. They think of like the beginning, the climax, like everything. So what is your process for content? Because I think that a founder listening can apply it to their brand. A personal brand listening, an influencer can start applying that. So my approach to content was that I needed to make sure that I built an, a system that optimized for consistency, not virality. And okay. so I told yeah. myself, like the, the part that I joke about is like, yeah, I just put out my first YouTube video and I just launched my first podcast episode last week. What people don't realize is I've been working on my content for a year now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I've been doing is building a system and building a team so that I can still effectively build a software company and have the system that I need to continue to be consistent with content. Mm-hmm. Right. So like it's, it's, I would say it's a less traditional approach in the context of becoming a content creator in that, like I have a team of people, like I have full-time editors, I have videographers, I have a producer, like all in house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that it was like, not, there's definitely an upfront capital, um, requirement associated with this. But like I knew that I was playing and like I plan in decades when it comes to like how I want to see myself down the line. Yeah. So I knew that if there's somewhere that I'm going to invest, like this is a great place to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think like another anecdote to touch on is that I stopped drinking um, when? almost a year ago. Were you crazy party boy? Before? I wasn't a crazy party boy, but I was <laughs> definitely gonna... like a hockey guy who okay. would like think it was normal to go out and like drink 15 beers on, a, uh, on a Friday City. night. Yeah. But I, I was I, I mentioned that because I think it's important because I think that like my life changed in terms of like 
taking things to the next level. Like my podcast is called turning pro. Like my mm-hmm. turning pro moment was definitely when I stopped drinking, uh, where I just felt like I got so much more clarity and motivation to like take things so much more serious. And then on the content side, I got so inspired by like the opportunities and like trying it a little bit, it excited me even more. And so I really just went to work for a year, like putting a system in place. So like when I, when I think about breaking it down for someone who's listening, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, how are you going to go about your planning process and your creative process for what you're filming? So if it's a YouTube channel versus a podcast, it's a different creative process. It's a different beast. Um, but I had to ideate on the brand for both of those for a long time. Cause like the first thing you write on paper is not the thing that the audience sees, but people don't necessarily know how long it took you to iterate, to get to where you finally are when you put something out into the world. So the first piece was the creative process. The second piece for me, was like, what are the resources you need to touch on all the boxes that you want to check? So for me, it was editing, storytelling, social media management, uh, and videography. So like for me, I'm very much someone, I'm like the vision guy. Like I can sit with the creative, like an editor or a designer and say, I want you to do this, this, and this. Like I can't do it myself, but I can sit there until it looks exactly the way I want it to. Mm. And so the way, like a piece of advice that I got that I use when I lean into this is like, make your A's A pluses and find someone else to do your C's for you. So like, I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. And so I really just lean into what I'm good at and try as fast as I can and as efficient as I can to put people around me to fill in the holes that I just have no business doing. Mm. And so it was really like, I built out a team. I built out my creative process. I really wanted to understand how can I build this for consistency. And I've been able to prove to myself before releasing anything that I can be consistent because I filmed 23 podcast episodes before releasing the first one. And I filmed six YouTube videos before releasing the first one. Uh, YouTube's a whole nother beast. Yeah. So like when you think about the the number comparison of 23 versus six, I think six YouTube videos is way harder than 23 it's, podcast YouTube's episodes. YouTube's a whole beast. Yeah. I wanted to ask you that note on, you know, being omnipresent because I think everyone has their platform, right? There's like TikTok, Instagram. I also, there's SMS, there's email newsletter. Why did you choose those two? I'm biased because I am agree completely to those platforms. I love long form. I think it's more buy-in. Like the audience you build from a podcast, a YouTube channel, it's insane on that conversion side. But why those two? I'm sure you're going to be on like repurposing the TikTok. Um, and what's your advice to someone listening on, you know, going through this work of like posting on one channel to apply to other channels? Do you, yeah. You're pro- being omnipresent for sure. Absolutely. Uh, the reason for the podcast. So I've always been someone who's loved to sit down with interesting people and have interesting conversations Mm -hmm. with no cameras on. Yeah. So I feel like I, in a crazy way, I've been doing podcast episodes for a long time where I, 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 I'm a curious person. So like I was already sitting down with interesting people just cause that was what I enjoyed to do. Yeah. Uh, and then it got to a point where I was like, why not just turn a camera on? And I think another piece of it, like, Mm -hmm. look, call it spade a spade a podcast is a great networking ploy. People love to talk about them. They're their best versions. People love to talk about themselves. So if I can give you a platform to talk about yourself and you're someone that I want to build a relationship with, like we both win. What is your tip on building relationships? Because I, I get the sense, like ever since you were early twenties, you're probably like on LinkedIn, like messaging, like meeting new people. Um, what is your advice? Cause I know there's a lot of people who would love to build a network, like the network that you have. And I know you're a connector because yesterday alone, like when we were together, you're like connecting with all these people. I like leave and I see all these text threads, such a connector, which I love because I love to be a connector for people. What, like, how do you build relationships like you do and how do you nurture them? Yeah. So those are both very, very good questions. Um, I think the first part is harder than the second part. So building a network, I think is harder than Mm -hmm. nurturing a network Totally, uh, because it sounds crazy, but like the way that you start building it is by figuring out ways to add value to people, Mm -hmm. uh, without expecting anything in return. And that can be challenging because like when you want to connect with someone who's deemed successful, you're like, I don't know what, what can I do for them that they can't get somewhere else? So like, I'll give you an example. There's, there's a, a, a guy named Max Friedman who has a company called give butter um, and I don't even know if he would know this if I like he heard this podcast. Max but is the one I think you connected me with. Different Max. Oh. That's Max from uh Siegelman Stable. 
also a great company. But anyways, this first Max, a company that he built before the one he's working on mm -hmm. now, like I remember it was a concept that I really resonated with. So I reached out to him when I was like still in high school, maybe a freshman in college and just asked if I could work for free. Like I just like wanted to help. I wanted I to like do that. things. And did you know your value? Cause I know when I started this podcast, I remember I used to ask this question a lot and founders were like, don't just ask if you can work for free, but like tell them what you would do. That would be the work that you could fulfill for them. Uh, that's a very good, that that's very good feedback. Is, Cause I get people reaching out to me. Like, can I intern for you for free? But then I'm like, I don't, I need someone who actually can like, I don't have to teach to like, yeah, you're being at, you want to be actionable, but honestly, that's not feedback that I had when I first started. I'm just saying when I started, that was the first yeah. thing I did. It was like, Oh, I, what could I do for who and how just let me. Um, and I think that, so that was kind of the first step to like building a network. Mm -hmm. I think it's like doing good work, operating with integrity, like being honest about what you know and what you don't know. Um, and curiosity is so important because when you're a curious mm -hmm. person, you will problem solve. You will inevitably meet new people because you find about new things and you want to, you just like continue to try to turn over every card that you can. And so I think the building network piece just was second nature to me because I was so like motivated to meet people in like specific, you know, verticals that I was interested in at different times in my yeah. life. And then in terms of nurturing relationships, for me, it's about connecting people because you just see a compounding growth when you build a network, right? Because I meet you and I can very quickly learn about you. When we chat, I figured out like what you're interested in, what's important to you, where are the areas of opportunities to support you on your business endeavors. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy for me to just sit there and introduce you to five people who I know are working in like similar spheres. And so now like you're getting value from that relationship that I just gave to you. So now you're valuing our relationship more. And that other person is also valuing my relationship more with them because I introduced them to you. So for me, like my, the way that I think about nurturing relationships at scale is absolutely being a super connector. I love it. Cause it's, it's the, it's the fastest, mindset. it's the fastest low touch way to add value to someone. Because when you're super busy, like I can't always jump on like hour long calls with the same people week after week. Mm -hmm. Um, but I know that like I can be helpful to people by introducing them to other people who I know can solve problems that they're having based on conversations we've had in the past. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. And I, I like kind of went into this like relationships network side point, but back on the content, cause I do want to wrap up that piece before I go into a little bit on the routines. Um, you were talking about the podcast, YouTube platforms, what other platforms, um, do you really recommend for people to kind of step into? So the way that I, I see it is that, uh, YouTube, YouTube is its own animal. Like if you're going to step into YouTube, like you got to be very intentional about that. Yeah, it's like a production. I see, I see like Instagram and TikTok as discovery channels to fuel whatever it is, is your, that is your main thing. There are, I have a lot of friends who are TikTokers where that is their main channel and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I think it's just about decision-making of what you want your thing to be for me. Like, because I know I want YouTube to be my main channel with my, um, content for the vlog. And then I want my podcast. I mean, I, it will be on YouTube also, mm -hmm. but the podcast, I'm a little bit more agnostic, whether it's like Spotify and Apple or YouTube, but I see those as my main drivers. And then I see Instagram, YouTube, like shorts, reels, and TikTok all as discovery to drive to the YouTube channels. And then are you going to be doing newsletter, SMS? So, I mean, it's right now it's, it's like, so much, try I to know. try to take one step at a time. I like, cause I tend to fall into this trap of like wanting to do it all. Yeah, uh, all I in think, or all out, yeah, baby. exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's a problem sometimes, <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, I hear, I hear you. I think it's, I think there's a, there's a next step in the journey in terms of like getting there, because I think right now the thing I'm trying to figure out is you have like the podcast, you have the software company, you have the YouTube channel. How do you tie all those things together mm -hmm. to be about Ben as an individual? Um, versus them all being separate businesses, because that to me is when like a newsletter gets interesting. Or if I start putting out like my own daily, like what a vlogs of my own life, even if it's weekly, not like a production type vlog, like birthday series, but like me living the crazy life of having a podcast, a YouTube and channel and a company. you grow your audience through all of those platforms. There's going to be such a demand for that. Like, who is this guy behind it all? Like we want to see what he does day to day. We want to see why he does the cold plunge every morning, <laughs> like all the things that make you, you, I think like your audience builds so much through all these platform arms and it's awesome to like, well, it's going to be awesome to witness as it all unfolds. 
Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's still early early innings, so I think I'm just I'm excited for for what's to come. I think it's it's very cool to see it all starting to slowly materialize, but mm-hmm. like consistency is all that matters. I love that. So I have to ask because we're so big on routines, non-negotiables, and someone listening is probably like, "This guy, how does he have any?" time in the day how what's a day in the life for you like how do you have do you have balance or are you like in a season right now I also really believe in the season element like there are seasons in our life where maybe we are out of balance and it's totally okay and then maybe there's a season where you go to Greece and you have more of a mellow work balance work-life balance but what is yeah how do you how do you kind of manage all these companies and all these arms and also being a super connector I think uh Balance means something different to everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the big thing for me is that I don't necessarily see work and life as two different endeavors. Uh, and so I say that because if there's weeks where I have to work more than usual, like I, it's part of life. It's part of what I enjoy. Um, I think the hard part really is about being intentional in certain times to disconnect and be present if I'm doing things that aren't work. Yeah. Like if, you know, if I'm with friends who aren't entrepreneurs who really just don't want to listen to it or hear about it. Like I joke because one of my best friends is my other, one of my other co-founders from my software company and we were on a bachelor party together and he started asking me a question. I was like, not now, like we're not doing this in front of everyone because they're going to tell us to shut up. Uh, so I think like being intentional about mm. being present with whatever it is that I'm doing is very important. I don't necessarily need to quantify it based on how much time I'm spending doing one thing or another, but it's like, if I'm going to go to dinner with my parents and my, my sisters, I want to like sit there and enjoy the dinner, not be on email the entire time. Mm. But if I'm going to be on email and working, like I don't want to have a side conversation because you might as well be productive when you're doing something yeah. so you can get to the next thing and be present and productive. And so like, look, I, of course I burn out and there's moments where I want to disconnect and I have my hobbies away from working, but truly I wake up every day excited to like work on the things that I'm doing. So I think my advice would be to someone, if they feel like they're not like happy with what they're doing, like you just need to make a switch Mm -hmm. and it's scary and it's, it's easier said than done, but you got to start to get to where you want to go. Yeah, and when you do the things that like bring you energy and like give you life, the energy is so ever abundant. Cause like, I feel like (laughs) yesterday I got home from dinner at 10 30 cause I walked home from to get your 28,000 steps. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I swear they would have been more because I took my Apple watch off. So it was just the iPhone. I swear they were higher. Uh, and it bothers me because it was 28 could have been, I could have saw 30. <laughs> um, but like when I got home, I was like, okay, on the West coast, it's three hours back. There's so many, I'm going to bang out an hour of emails. Cause I had energy and I was like in the dark in my hotel room, like closing. I was like 45 minute block. Let's go. And it felt great. Cause I didn't want to deal with that in the morning, even though I know like people are like, Oh, on the East coast, but I'm like, I want my morning for me. So I just think, but I was like, not like, Oh, I don't want to do this. I was like, I want to do this. Cause I get to do this. And I'm like, so grateful to be able to have like put my phone away for the whole like dinner and like evening before, you know, I think it's like all a choice and it comes down to like, yeah, what's your why? What's your motivators? I think so much with it. When you do the things you're passionate about, uh, especially in the context of working professionally, you'll mm-hmm. stop like quantifying the hours, right? So like something that I used to struggle with uh, early on as an entrepreneur was like, yeah, but like, I know that my one friend told me that he worked a hundred hours this week in investment banking. And I know I didn't do a hundred hours. So I must be behind because he's doing more. Yeah, right? so not about and that. so for the longest time, I struggled with the fact that I have the flexibility to go to the gym at 11 AM or yeah. decide on a Wednesday, like, you know what, mentally today's not the day. Like I'm not doing anything. And yeah. I would, I would get so uncomfortable and anxious that mm-hmm. everyone around me was doing something when I wasn't, it took me a really long time to finally accept that like, don't quantify your output based on hours, just quantify it based on productivity and actual outcomes. Mm -hmm. Because there are some very successful people in this world who work like 10 hours a week or less because they've built systems and processes to be able to do Uh, so. so I'm not sitting here telling you go work 10 hours a week because it's inevitable in the long run that if you spend more time, you will probably get further. But I really think that was a big unlock for me was like, stop comparing yourself to others and like measuring the amount of time you spend on something versus the impact you make when you're actually doing the things. Mm-hmm. It's so that hits for me because it's like something I like that came up this week. And I was like, you know what? No, actually yesterday, the whole morning for me was like, not, not it for work. I was just like, so tired from my flight. I was just, you know, your brain's not even sharp. I'm like, I'm going to take a personal 
morning, <laughs> go to the gym later, like go to my favorite coffee shop, like kind of do me. And it set me up so well for the day. And it's like, because you can, and it's a choice. And like the more self-awareness you have, like it also builds that self-assurance and like the comparison, you just, you know, you're in your own lane. Um, what is your morning routine right now? Break it down. I want to hear it before we close because I just know it has a lot in it and I don't know exactly everything, but I just know it's loaded. Uh, it's an interesting thing. Cause it's definitely something that I've continued to continue to tinker with for like the longest yeah. time. Um, something that I've realized now that I've been working on is to not put so much pressure and stress on myself to make sure that I hit all my boxes mm -hmm. in my morning routine, because every day is different in terms of like, what time's my first meeting? How late was I up the night before? Uh, the thing I will say is that I prioritize sleep over everything. Um, mm. there's, there's a, do you know anything about the guy, Brian Johnson, who's anti-aging? I've heard of him. Basically the, I'll, t I'll tell you why I, I mentioned Sean this. Stevenson, the sleep smarter. No, this guy, this guy basically sold his company for $800 million was like super depressed, et cetera. And, uh, committed his whole life's work now to reverse his age to 18. What? Uh, see, 40. He's, uh, biologically 40, no, chronologically 45, biologically 18. It's, it's an, it's a tangent, but the, the thing that he said that resonated with me, cause I think a lot of what he's doing is like a little bit too much for me. But the one thing he said is, um, most people know this, that the most important sleep, the most important thing in your life is sleep. Yet it's the one thing in our life where we let our sleep be dictated by everything else around our life versus letting everything else in our life be dictated by our sleep. Wow. So like you will go out to the bar or go to a late dinner because your friends wanted you to, but now you slept for four hours instead of eight hours and it compounds the negative effects. Yeah. So when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's really interesting. Cause I realized that I really am at my best when I sleep. I um, that in a podcast. So my morning routine, it, the reason I say it changes is because there's some days that I wake up at 6am and there's other days that I wake up at 830. Uh, but it really just depends, depends on how much sleep is what you need what does he recommend? Like what's your research telling you? <laughs> the extent of my research stops at the fact that he made me really, uh, reconcile or, uh, internalize the importance of sleep. Even though I knew it was important th yeah. that that quote was, I was like, Whoa, okay. I okay. get that. Yeah. Uh, I target eight hours a night. And not, do you believe that not everyone needs eight? Correct. I think everyone's body is different. But it's important to know knowing yourself. I think people at large underestimate the importance of sleep. Like the people who think they can sleep three hours a night and just crush Adderall and coffees every day, like that will catch up with you. So true. Whenever you actually like sleep, you feel like a new, I was going to say, I feel like a new woman when I actually get to sleep. So that's been a huge change for me as I've gotten busier, actually, which seems counterintuitive mm -hmm. is I've prioritized sleep even more because I need to be on top of things when I'm actually in it. Yeah. But I'll say that like my morning routine, sleep is number one. Time always. Time you wake up at today? Uh, this morning I woke up at five 55. Okay. So boy I, went to bed I, early last night. Yes. I had a six 30 workout this morning. Okay. Um, so the non-negotiables are the sleep. I always try to exercise every day. I just, I want to move my body for at least 45 minutes. Cool. Any kind of exercise or are you? Like so I was like way more like particular when I was a division one athlete. And then when I trained for the New York city marathon, yeah. like I cared way more now it's like, do something it, I you know, I, like I'm, I'm in tune with my body enough to know if I was mm -hmm. honest with myself I that I did something mean. like go for a run, go lift some weights, go take a workout class, go do something. Yeah. So the workouts are non-negotiable. Uh, the cold plunge is the new, the new activity yeah. craze. Now that I have, go my follow his story. yeah, you'll just see my every Watch morning on stories. my Instagram story. There's a cold plunge video. Uh, so <laughs> that's a big part of my morning routine. And then I think you know, the other thing is, um, journaling, but the interesting thing for me about journaling is that it used to give me so much anxiety because I felt like I had to do it every day as homework. Mm -hmm. But, uh, my friend, Aaron Spivak actually was the one who helped me reframe my thinking on this, where journaling has become something for me where like, I feel like I have something I want to write about. I will do it, but I don't put pressure on myself. Sometimes I'll only journal once a week or twice a week, but it is just like an activity that is part of my morning routine whenever it feels right. Yeah, I love But that beyond note. that, I really try to not put so much pressure on myself because there was definitely a moment in time where I was like, wake up, like take a cold shower, journal, meditate, yeah. red light therapy, all the things. I'm like, Ben, you're being a nut job right now. Like you could do some of those things, but moderation in some parts of your life is okay since I struggle with mm -hmm. that in most. I love that because I, I truly also, I always say this in my solo episodes because I go ham on routines and non-negotiables. I always say it's like, what feels good for you? Like for me, 
meditation, visualization meditation has served me and it hits on every level and I have to do it in like a prayer practice, but it doesn't hit for everyone, you know, and it evolves as you evolve too. you like take what you need, remove what you don't need. And I feel like even with content, yeah, a lot of people will push got to do all of that or your day's not going to be a great day. I think the way that I think about it is just incremental improvement. Like if you can get 1% mm-hmm. better every single day and whatever it is you're doing, like fix your morning routine and make yourself 1% better, like fix your next content video to, to be 1% yeah. better, like being conscious about improving every day and being consistent. Like if you do those two things for long enough, you will find some level of success. Yeah. Cause it adds up. The small things add up. It's so powerful. I could talk to you forever. This so is this gotta, is fun. We gotta end this because we're tied on time. But I could like it's because you're a podcaster. See, it's like this is your true calling in life. Be a podcaster. We'll, we'll have to pod around too. Let's do it. This was this is awesome. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for coming on. And okay, so where can the people find you? Connect with you. I'll have all your handles and everything linked below. But verbally, yeah, on uh, Instagram and Twitter, I'm at Ben Sharf, uh, B E N S H A R F. And then the fun things I'm working on, the YouTube channel is called Birthday Series. So you can find that across across platforms, uh, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. The podcast is called Turning Pro. So it's Turning Pro Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And then it's the Turning Pro Podcast on YouTube. And then my software company is called Platter. So it's platter.co and it's Get Platter on all socials. So many socials. We'll have all the socials. All linked below. <laughs> and thank you again. Thanks for having me. Thank you guys so much for hanging out today and listening to this week's podcast. It would mean the world if you can screenshot your phone and share this episode out on social. Tag at Coffee and a Good Vibe. Tag at Ben Sharp. And let us know that you were listening. We would love to send you all the love and shout you out right back. I hope that you're having a beautiful day wherever you are at. And I will see you guys in the next one.